We are in Ephesians 2, so if you'll take your Bible and open to Ephesians chapter 2. We've been looking at some amazing spiritual realities in Ephesians chapter 1 and chapter 2. Whenever the scripture talks about salvation, it it speaks in dramatic terms uh, about how powerfully and dramatically God has acted to save us. And the, the change that has been brought about and the way that change is described is just incredible. We see that beginning in Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to begin in verse 1 and uh, read through verse 7 and and today be focusing on verses 4 to 7, talking about what God did in saving us, what God did in saving us. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, the scripture says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy... Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. In the world, as you come across new realities, there's new words that we we begin to use to express and describe those new realities. Like if you were able to go back to the 1970s, which for me would not be a bad time to go back to. But if you were able to go back to the 1970s and you talk to a person about sending a text message, I'll text you, man, the person would have no clue what you were talking about, or if you talk to a kid in the 1970s about them watching out for their screen time. Screen time is a, is a phrase and a reality they would have no idea about. So essentially, as we deal with and face new realities in life, we come up with new words to describe them. That's what Paul does in this chapter, in these verses we're looking at this morning. Paul the Apostle coins three words to describe salvation here. But essentially, there are three words in this passage we're going to look at, all of them describing our salvation, that essentially were words that didn't exist until Paul wrote this. And I I think the reason for this is because salvation and what God is doing in and through Jesus Christ is new. That God is acting and revealing things that have not been previously revealed. He's acting in such power that to describe what God has done in saving us Christians through Christ Paul the Apostle essentially has to invent a whole new vocabulary to describe it. We began by talking about our spiritual state, how we were dead. Then he talked about the intervention of God in verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. That's what we focused on last time. That God did this, he saved us because of his mercy and his love. But look what he did specifically. Even when we were dead in our trespasses made us alive together with Christ. That's the first word. He made us alive together with 
Christ. The idea here is being brought from death, spiritual death, to light, to life. And, and again, this is, this is speaking in spiritual terms. Like Ephesians chapter 1, if you remember, and if you go back and read it, it's talking about spiritual blessings. This is talking about spiritual realities relating to salvation. It might be easy for you to look at yourself or think of yourself or think of your life and say, well, I was never dead. But the reality is, and what God is revealing here, is that yes, every single person is dead in their sins apart from Jesus Christ. And the good news of the gospel is, even though that state was a reality, an inescapable reality, but God... God intervened, God acted, and what God did was he took this spiritual deadness and he, God, made us alive together with Christ. This is the great dilemma of man. He is dead in his sins. And the great remedy and why the gospel is such good news is that God must intervene to save him. This is why just some moral program won't help any man. This is why just some legislation is not going to solve the world's problems or solve man's ultimate problems. Man's great problem is that he's dead in his sins. And this is a, this is a problem for which there must be a divine intervention and a divine remedy, which is right at the nature of what salvation is. It's a divine intervention. Look back to Ezekiel chapter 37. Look at how God describes his people to the prophet Ezekiel in, in, in chapter 37. He, he unveils this even in the Old Testament. Now, if you read on and read the context of all of chapter 37, you'll see he's talking about Israel. He's talking about his people. And look at how he describes them. Ezekiel chapter 37, beginning in verse 1. The hand of the Lord was upon me and brought me out in... In the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. So that's why this has been called the vision of the, the dry bones, the valley of the dry bones. So they're dead, and they've been dead a long time. Verse 3, and he said to me, son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know, which by the way, incidentally, if God asks you a question, that's a good answer. <laughs> right, when we're asked questions, sometimes we like to pretend like we're smart or maybe know something. Or something. If God asks you a question, God, you know. I love, I love how Ezekiel doesn't really answer his question. I don't know. You know God. Verse 4. Then he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, old dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Now imagine that, friends. The dead being made alive by the word of God. We see this all through scripture. See the consistency of the word of God. Man in his state, God's people, are dead. And God makes them alive by his word. Look what happens here. Verse 5, thus says the Lord God to these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live and I will lay sinews upon you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I 
and the Lord. So notice God is going to act and giving them life. And then there's a result that they're going to know that he's God. Here we see Paul explaining to Christians, to this church, their salvation in terms of God made you alive. The next word that he coins to describe our salvation is in verse 6. And raised us up with him. That God raised us up. Now, that sounds like resurrection language, but actually this is ascension language. This is essentially being, the idea of being brought up to heaven. That's the idea here. That's what this word means, to be brought up. And I think it's, it's, it speaks to our status as the children of heaven, which the next verb is going to even further explain. Friends, we understand that we belong more to heaven than to this world. Do you understand that? This is why the scripture calls us as followers of Jesus Christ foreigners in this world. We're, living, we're like living in a foreign land. Or in the old King James Version, pilgrims. A pilgrim is a, is a person who goes to a new land or lives in a new place, kind of like a stranger. That's how the Bible describes us. And here it says, not only has God given us new life, not only has he raised up that which is dead, but he's brought us up into heaven. And look at the next one. Look at the next verb. Not only has he raised us up with him and seated us. I think the idea there is those two go together. He's raised us up. He's seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Well, this is talking about our spiritual status, our standing with God. Seated us with Christ in the heavenly places. The, the place Christ is seated in heaven is the place of victory. The place Christ is seated in heaven is at the right hand of the Father, the place of rule. And notice the language of the text. Seated us with him in the heavenly places. Look at what God has done in saving you. Raised you. Brought you up. Seated you with Christ. What is the, why, why does he say this? Well, I think the reason why he tells the Ephesians this is because of the reality of the unseen spiritual world that exists. Uh, it, it seems like the, the ancient people particularly were more cognizant of that than us moderns in one sense. And the idea here is, if you look back to chapter 1, verses 21 and 22, look at what it says about Jesus in, seated in heaven. Verses 21 and 22, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And then in chapter 2, he says of us, he has seated us with him in the heavenly places. Because the reality is, there are unseen powers and principalities that operate in this world. In chapter 2, and verse 2, it says that we once were following the prince of the power of the air. In Ephesians chapter 6, it's going to talk about the armor of God and talk about how believers, followers of Jesus Christ, are in combat, in war, fighting, struggling, striving against the powers and the principalities that are existent. In the city of Ephesus, and this is why I think he brings this out particularly in this letter, Ephesus as a city was known and, and famous as the home of the temple of Diana, one of the seven ancient wonders of the world. This is the center of essentially the worship of a false goddess. 
And they are so zealous for their worship of the false goddess. I believe it's Acts 19. You have a, 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 a rioting mob of people chanting, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. Ephesus was also a city known for magic. Magic is the idea that you can use some spiritual force that's unseen to have power over circumstances, like make this circumstance happen for me, right? Or make, make this next race that I'm involved in more beneficial for me. Or to control people. The use of magic is using some unseen force to exercise control over people. This was a big deal in Ephesus. This is why when you read about the conversion of people in Ephesus, they burn their books of magic. That's in Acts chapter 17. Because they practiced that. And they believed wholeheartedly in that. And by telling them that you're seated with Christ, the point is, you're seated with him who is high above all of that. That Jesus, Jesus over every dominion, over every power, Jesus is higher. He rules over Diana. He has all power over any so-called magic. He rules and you are with him. Now again, think about this phrase about what God did in saving us. He seated us in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. One thing to remember about this, you have lots of these spiritual statements about your spiritual reality, your spiritual standing, like being righteous, being made alive, these are spiritual realities, is that our circumstances in life don't often reflect the reality of our position. Essentially, our circumstances don't reflect spiritual reality. Let me give you an example. Romans chapter 8, verses 35 to 37. Again, talking about salvation and the benefits we enjoy as followers of Jesus in salvation. Listen to what Romans 8, 35 and 37 say. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ. Now, again, love of Christ being a spiritual reality, right? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation? Now we're going to talk about circumstances in life that you experience. And the idea is these circumstances that are very real and that you experience cannot alter or change or affect the reality of your spiritual standing. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Shall those things separate us from the love of Christ? And the answer is no. But essentially, let's just take a few of those. Let's say you see a person in persecution. What do you think about that person? Or a person who is experiencing famine. A person experiencing famine. What does that circumstance say? Well, it says they're in a terrible, distressing situation. You wouldn't usually look at that person and be like, my goodness, that person's more than a conqueror. But that's the reality if they're a Christian. You wouldn't look at the person who is being persecuted and think of them in terms of, my goodness, what a conqueror in Christ. But that's exactly what this text goes on to say. Look at it. As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. By the way, that's Christians. That is the Christian experience. But verse 37, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. In 
distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword, being killed all the day long, in that we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. I'm persuaded that none of that can separate you from the love of Christ. So there's these circumstances we face in life, these challenges, these distresses, these tribulations that you face in life, but they do not reflect or affect our spiritual standing. That there are people in this room today and now, no doubt, going through anguish of heart, distress, pain, loss, difficulty, struggle with, struggle in a hundred different ways, people struggling with children, people struggling in marriage, people struggling in their faithfulness to God, all of us struggling against our sins. And these struggles are real. But the spiritual reality is we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. That no matter what we experience in this life, God, because of what he's done in salvation for believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we're seated with Christ in heavenly places. That hopefully will help your perspective. Now, one thing to emphasize here. Did you notice something I left out thus far? All this language of together. Notice it. Look at it in verse 4. Made us alive together with Christ. Verse 6. Raised us up. By the way, this verb should have a together with it as well. The idea is raised us up together with him and then seated us together with him. It's in Christ. If you go back and read Ephesians chapter 1, this is, this is like the, 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 the chorus of the hymn that keeps coming up. It's in him. It's in Christ. And here you see what God did in saving you. What you have in salvation in chapter 1 is in Christ. What God did in saving you is in Christ and through him. And you are with him. Now think for just a minute what he's talking about. This is just... This spiritual reality is just utterly mind-numbing and blowing. It's astounding. Listen carefully, and I think that you can see this very clearly in this passage. God raised Jesus from the dead. God ascended Jesus on high. Jesus is seated at the right hand of God the Father, right? Yes. What God has done for Jesus, he has done for you with Christ. Do you see that there? You are raised up with him. You are, verse 5, verse 6, I'm sorry, verse 5, you're made alive with him. Verse 6, you're raised up, that's ascended with him. Verse 6, you're seated with him. Friends, the point here is you must see your salvation is in Christ. That God works in bringing his blessings of salvation to us in Christ and through Christ. And God worked to, to do what he did in saving us in Christ and through Christ with the result that what God has done for Jesus we experience as well because of him. To be made alive, we who were dead. Ascended with Jesus and seated with him. Do you see the connection there with Jesus Christ? Go back to chapter 1. Let me show it to you in verses 18 through 20. This, I think, will help elucidate it for you. Chapter 1, verses 18 to 20. This is Paul's prayer for the church. And look what he's going to say. This is just amazing stuff. 
Ephesians 1.18, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. Now notice this. He's talking now about the immeasurable, keep that word in mind, immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. This is describing believers and its immeasurable power. Friends, you understand, to save you required and, and took immeasurable power from God. But look what it says. The greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ. Now notice it. When he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. Now do you see what he's doing now in chapter 2? God using his incredible greatness of his power and the working of his great might raised Jesus from the dead and seated him at his right hand. In salvation, wow, this is so exciting, I literally almost just passed out. That would end the sermon real quick. But what he just said God did for Jesus, he uses the same language here in describing our salvation. And notice the point is, it's because of Jesus. It's together with him. It's not just he raised you up. So friends, when we think about the Christian faith, The Christian faith following Jesus is not just about following certain commands or believing certain doctrines. That's part of it, but it's not just that. It's not just adhering to a certain standard of morality. It is about being united by God with Christ. The work of God to save us that connects us to his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. This is why, this is is where, this is... This plays into the idea of Christ alone. You're saved by Christ alone. You're saved in Christ alone. You're saved through Christ alone. We are in Christ. This was uh, uh, last week, I think last Sunday night, we sang um, And Can It Be by Charles Wesley. One One of the lines in that hymn is, Alive in him, my living head. I'm not just made alive, I'm made alive in Christ. Friends, when we think about and talk about salvation, it always must be and should be connected to and through Jesus Christ. Did you notice just this over and over again emphasis here? This is why right Christian preaching of the gospel emphasizes Jesus Christ. It doesn't emphasize you. It emphasizes Christ. It emphasizes God and what he's done. Just look at it. Look at it beginning at the end of verse 4. Made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Look how Paul talks about salvation and your salvation. It is in Christ. Now, Look at the next verse. Verse 7. So that in the coming ages, so in the future time, he might show. So God wants to demonstrate something by doing this. He might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Now, you remember back to Ezekiel. I'm going to cause these bones to live. I'm going to breathe into them life. I'm going to give them sinews and 
meat on their bones. I'm going to do that. And then what's the last part of that Ezekiel passage? What Ezekiel says probably 50 times in his book, that they may know that I am the Lord. God, in saving us, wants the world to know something and wants every one of us to know something. Why did God do it? Look at verse 7, so that in the coming ages he might show, he might demonstrate something. Look at what God wants to demonstrate in, in saving us, in, in giving us life, raising us up, sending us with Christ. God, God wants that to demonstrate something. He wants it to demonstrate the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness. Now there's a phrase to unpack for the rest of your life. When you think about salvation, you ever think, well, my goodness, all these circumstances, what I'm going through, what I've gone through, does God really love me? Friends, my goodness, what God did to save you and give you this spiritual standing, he did it to demonstrate the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us. And notice it's always in Christ Jesus. That's how God saves. It is through his son and the work of his son on the cross. But immeasurable riches, like immeasurable power in chapter 1. Immeasurable riches of his grace. That little phrase, immeasurable riches, essentially means inexhaustible riches. Uh, you know, it, it, people who are accountants like to count things and number things. The idea, this is uncountable. God's grace is unmeasurable. That's how much he gives in saving us. And he wants you to know that. Now pay attention to how Paul the Apostle talks about God and his salvation. <clears throat> Notice how he talks about him. God, Paul does not present God as like an angry father. Paul does not present God as like some dictator, right? There are people, wrongly, who would look at our understanding of God from the, war, uh, from the Scripture and say, well, your God's just an angry dictator. They would look at the biblical teaching of the sovereignty of God, the fact that he rules over all, that he's not questioned by any man, he does as he pleases, and they would say, well, my goodness, all this bad stuff happening in the world, God is just, an, is just a, a bad dictator then, right? Wrong. In saving us, he demonstrates his immeasurable grace. Do you see why the gospel is good news? It brings us from death to life. Salvation demonstrates the grace of God. It demonstrates the kindness of God. In fact, in this section, in fact, Ephesians, in Ephesians chapters 1 and 2, but certainly in chapters 2, 1 through 10, there's an emphasis here on grace. Have you noticed it? The whole theme of this section, which I think is a good header for salvation, is by grace you have been saved. And we're going to unpack that, Lord willing, next week in depth. But here we see that God did what he did in Christ for us to demonstrate the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ. Now, we understand as Christians, we're to explain the gospel to other people. I think Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 7, is just a great testimony of, of salvation. There, this, is, this is to show every Christian has an amazing testimony. Think about it, chapter 2, 1 through 3, what we were. Here's what I was, my goodness. I was dead in my sins. And then, but God. So in my discussion of salvation with people, I want to emphasize what God did. My goodness, I was so far away. 
And I think all people are further away than they know or understand. But my goodness, God intervened. And this is where the good news comes in. This is why it's such good news. Because for people that were dead in their trespasses and sins, God sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for sins, to pay for those sins, raised him powerfully from the dead. And notice this immeasurable power and working of God is for those who believe in chapter 1. And friends, this is why you must believe in Jesus alone. It's only through him that these blessings of salvation come from God. It's in Christ. And this is why just some vague talk about, my goodness, God is a loving God, right? There's a, there's a hundred people in this community that will tell you that. What do you believe about God? Well, I believe he's loving. Friends, the love of God is expressed specifically and definitely through Jesus Christ and what Jesus did to die on the cross for our sins. That's the good news of the gospel. Not only is he loving, but in love he'll do this for you. And you know what? He, he did this for me. I didn't deserve it. It's not on the basis of anything I did. I didn't earn it. You see how this is such good news. And you know, my goodness, I would hope talking about with other people the immeasurable grace of God would be something we would be glad to talk about and more than willing to talk about. That it's not about, right, get signed up to this program, do this, do this, do this, do this, come to this, come to that, go through these steps, and then... No, it's God saves by his immeasurable grace. He intervenes and he saves by grace. So just think about that, how you share your testimony with people, how you talk with people about salvation. We want to emphasize God. We want to emphasize Christ. We want to emphasize grace. It's about how far he's brought us. And it's about the immeasurable riches of his grace. Let's pray together. Lord, uh, just I pray I haven't muddied the waters here uh, about the glories of the union we have with Jesus Christ, about how through Jesus Christ you, God, made us alive together with him, you raised us up together with him, and you seated us together with him. So God, help us to see our life, our spiritual life, as in Christ. And God, that we would recognize that it's because of your grace, that you did this, Lord, not because we deserved it, not because you had to or were under obligation, but God, by grace, we have been saved. So God, help us to marvel at that, to be astounded by the immeasurable riches of your grace that, that are demonstrated in this great work of salvation. And God, this week, we pray for boldness. This is what we need. God, we know the good news. We marvel at the good news. Now, God, help us to proclaim the good news. The Lord, there are so many trusting in their works. There are so many trusting in means that are insufficient. There are many who do not know. There are many ignorant. There are many who are dead. So, God, help us, Lord, to be bold. Help us to boldly proclaim the unsearchable riches of God in Christ Jesus. So God, give us boldness to do that for your glory. Help us to do it at the Fall Fest. And we pray, God, that you would use us in that time, Lord, as a light to the world in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together and sing. Friends, if you have questions about being a Christian, being saved, being saved and forgiven and reconciled to God is, is the most pressing matter always. I, w I would hope today you wouldn't leave if you have questions about salvation that, that rather than leaving today you would take time to talk to me or 
talk to Michael or talk to David who was up here just a minute ago and, and we'll just open the Bible and, and show you what it says about the good news of salvation. And then as Christians now let's sing like people who have been saved by immeasurable grace. 